We are the Beckman family. It's really an honor and a privilege to come before you this morning and to be able to share with you the deepest burdens of our hearts, and it's for the country of Thailand. Thailand, you heard a little bit, if you were here this Sunday school, during Sunday school, you heard a little bit more about Thailand and what makes Thailand tick. But briefly, Thailand is a country of 69 million people. 94% of those people, 94% are Buddhist. Another 5% are Muslim. Less than 1% are Christian of any kind or denomination. Less than 1% of that 69 million people. One of the challenges of working in Thailand that we didn't talk about this morning that's fun to talk about, and we always find people very intrigued and it puts a smile on their face, is the Thai language. Thai is a difficult language. It's a large language. There are 30, excuse me, there are 44 consonants and 37 vowels. 44 consonants. There aren't that many sounds out there. So what we have is there... (laughs) There are four S's, there are four T's, there are some P's, there are some L's, and so on. The only way you know how to spell in Thai is by memorization. Because the sound isn't just S, because it's which S are you talking about. There are 37 vowels. There are also, what makes it interesting for missionaries is there are five tones. It's a tonal language, meaning one word can have more than one meaning depending on the tone with which that word is spoken. We always like to say this, people, because you people, when you sit out in the audience at a church and you see missionaries and they talk about their foreign language, you wonder, maybe you wonder in your heart, are these people really going to learn that language that they're talking about? Well, we guarantee this. One of us will speak Thai very well. <laughs> so, here we have this tone of language, one word, more than one wing, depending on which the, the, how that tone and tone is used. For example, honey, get nice and close here. I'm going to turn my wireless on so you can just have that mic all to yourself. There we are. Okay. The word is rice. Cow. White. Cow. The news. Cow. Fishy smelling. Cow. <laughs> and it just occurs to me now, but for all those years I was trying to sell my white car, why no one would buy it because it was fishy smelling. <laughs> <laughs> And then, so that's just the long vowel. Now, if you listen closely, these will sound very similar, but they're the short vowel of the same sound. Enter the building. He, she, or it. Your knee. Mm. Yep. So you have cow, 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 and then cow, cow, cow. Yeah. Pretty fun, isn't it? (laughs) And so, because it's a tonal language and each one of those words is a completely different word, you can end up making whole sentences out of one word. For example, the sentence, honey, is don't burn new wood. My, 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 my. Mm. My, my, my. (laughs) I have no idea what I just said there. Uh, So, we have been missionaries full-time in Thailand since 2003, my wife having been there a little longer. I won't mention how long. I have been going there on short-term missions since 1997. Thailand is, this Thai language is unique in that it's large and it's tonal and be challenging. Did Did you know that Thailand is home to the world's longest named city? That city is Bangkok. How long does that sound? Not very long. Because <laughs> the real, Thai people don't call Bangkok, Bangkok. That's really a foreign word given to the capital city of Thailand. This is the true name of Bangkok and Thai. 
รงเทพมหานครนมรรัตนโกสินทร์มหินทรายุธยามหาดิลกภพนพร,ราชธานีบุรีรมอุดมราชนิเวศมหาสถานอมรพิมานอวตารสถิตสักกขติยะวิศนุกรรมประสิทธิ์Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Unfortunately, we can never tell anyone where we're going unless we're at least two hours outside of Bangkok, <laughs> because by the time we get it out of our mouth, we're already home. <laughs> Thai, Thai, the Thai language has a, a, a symbol that's ma- that contracts words, similar to like cannot can be contracted to can't, and you put that symbol behind the very first word that she said, and that's what we call Bangkok, which is Grung t e p Grung t e p There's actually a city in America that has the same meaning as Grung t e p It's in California. It's Los Angeles, the city of angels. Grung city, t e p angels, and the capital of Thailand literally for Thai people means the city of angels. As I said, we have been missionaries in Thailand since 2003. Since 2009, we have been planning a church on the western side of Bangkok in an area called p i n k l a o And we're going to show you a video of what has been taking place at Pinklao Baptist Church over the last four years, and then I will come up and open God's Word. Hello, we are the Beckman family, your missionaries to Thailand. In 2013, we returned to Thailand for our third term of missionary service. This is the story of our third term, Chapter One, Salvation. Over the last three years, we have seen people put their faith in Jesus Christ. First, there was Miao. Miao was saved through our prison ministry. Her story is interesting because one day one of her fellow inmates came and said, "Pastor Nathan, Miao wants to be saved." Well, due to the fact that I had just finished teaching and it was time to go home, and the fact that Miao had not actually talked to me herself, I said, "That's nice. I'll talk to Miao next week." At that moment. Miao spoke up and said, "No, Pastor Nathan, I really do want to trust Christ today. Please don't go home until you've showed me how to be saved." In my 12 years in Thailand, that was the only time that someone pleaded with me to show them the way to salvation. Another person whom we'd like to introduce to you is Nan. Nan found our church through its website. She had been to church maybe once or twice before in her life, and she came to us looking for peace. When she first came to our church. You could see the stress and tension in Nan's face. Nan comes from a Chinese family and is studying Chinese medicine in university. Because of that, she was a person full of worry and fear. She was worried about all the pressure put on her by her family to conform to Chinese traditions. She was scared of the spirits of dead people who would come to haunt her at night. She was scared of supernatural powers that those who practice Chinese medicine have at their disposal. But Nan had a deep desire. To be free from worry and fear, so Mam started a Bible study with her. At each step of their Bible study, Nan was confronted with truth that conflicted with what she had been taught. But in each situation and in each study, she humbled herself to accepting God's word as the truth. Over time, you could see Nan's countenance change from worry to peace. And one Sunday, Nan told Mam that she had decided to trust Jesus alone for her salvation. Nan still faces serious challenges because she is majoring in Chinese medicine. She is confronted by teachers that accuse her of turning her back on her ancestry and believing in a Western religion. 
Because her major mixes medicine with religion, she is also confronted with powers that she cannot explain, which, if are real, are certainly not from God. Pray for Nan to be grounded in her faith and to keep her eyes on the Savior who has given her peace and joy. Another person whom I'd like to introduce to you is Gunn. Gunn, too, was saved through our prison ministry. Gunn was saved early in his prison sentence. Therefore, he had a lot of time to study the Bible before his release. Gunn was unique in that even his fellow prisoners gave testimony to the truth that his life had changed inside the prison. Now Gunn is home and facing the different challenges of re-entering society, but this time as a Christian. Pray for Gunn. Challenges and opportunities to fall back into the life that caused him to go to prison in the first place abound. Pray that he will make the decision to surround himself with people who will encourage him to stay faithful to Christ. We are in Thailand to plant churches. That starts with people coming to Christ. We praise the Lord for these people and others who have come to Christ in the last three years. Chapter 2 Celebration Upon our arrival in Thailand for our third term and the salvation decisions that took place in that first year, we knew it was time to take the next step in the life of Binglao Baptist Church. It was time to organize our group of Christians into an official local church. So our second year was dedicated to the task of organizing our church. That included teaching what a church is, why a local church is important, what a church should believe, and finally, why church membership is so important. You won't be surprised to know that things that are clear to us, who have grown up in church, are not so clear to those who have been saved out of Buddhism. However, you also won't be surprised to know that as our people studied what the Bible says about the church, they became excited about forming this new local church. Together with our prospective members, we set the date on which we will hold our church charter signing ceremony. On September 14, 2014, Witia read the church charter and invited all those who would commit themselves to be members of Binglao Baptist Church to come forward and sign the charter. It was so exciting to see 24 people walk to the front of the church, committing themselves to be members of this new local body of believers. Now the task at hand is to disciple and train our members to take responsibility and leadership in Binglao Baptist Church. As we do this, we will step ever closer to the ultimate goal of graduating this precious church into the care of Thai people. Please pray to that end. Chapter 3. Challenges If our first year back in Thailand was a story of salvation and the second year a story of celebration, then the story of our third year of this term would have to be entitled Challenges. 2015 was, without question, the most difficult year in our life as missionaries in Thailand. Some of the people whom you have seen in the pictures in this presentation have turned away from the Lord over the last year. In one example, one of our most faithful members, our most faithful Bible reader, was found to be living an immoral lifestyle. We tried numerous times to talk to her and encourage her to turn back to the Lord and accept His grace, but in the end she refused and walked away. That was the beginning of a period of four or five months of dealing almost weekly with people choosing to live immoral lifestyles. 
Over the last year, we have lost four formerly very faithful members of Binklao Baptist Church, and it was over the same issue, falling in love with someone who is not a Christian. In our experience, there is no faster way to turn a Christian's heart away from God than when he or she falls in love with someone who does not love God. Please pray for our people. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Pray that our people would guard their hearts from that which would cause them to turn away from their Savior. And may we encourage you as well to guard your heart from loving something or someone that would turn your heart away from the Savior as well. It can happen to anyone. Chapter 4. New Opportunities over the last three years, we have been given many new opportunities to minister to Thai Christians outside of Binglao Baptist Church. Opportunities like speaking at church retreats and family camps. One great opportunity to be an encouragement to fellow Thai Christians was being asked to teach a seminar on expository preaching to a group of 25 pastors. This opportunity started when Pastor Surasit a school teacher who planted and pastors a church in his hometown asked Nate to teach him how to prepare and preach expository sermons. That request for help turned into a module where we spent four full days working with Pastor Sursit and two other pastors and helping them learn to teach scripture verse by verse. Then Pastor Sursit recommended us to do the same thing for his entire group of independent Baptist pastors. It was more than an honor to be able to encourage these Thai pastors to be faithful to God's word and his intentions for his word. Even more encouraging was having Thai pastors call me after the seminar, telling me they were challenged and blessed and that they were going to start teaching the Bible verse by verse themselves. More important than the success of any missionary in Thailand is the sustained success of Thai men who have given their lives to preaching God's word and shepherding God's children. Having the opportunity to encourage these men outside of Binglao Baptist Church was pure joy. Chapter 5, A Call to Prayer. As we close, we plead with you to pray for us. Pray for Binglao Baptist Church and pray for Thailand. Thailand is still a country with 66 million people with less than 1% Christian of any kind or denomination. It is still a country that has never seen any significant awakening to the gospel of Jesus Christ, despite having missionaries for more than 200 years. Pray for Thai people to be saved. Pray for Thai men to be saved. Would you pray specifically for these men? Pray for O. Pray for M. Pray for Ja. And pray for Sao. These are men to whom Nate has witnessed over a number of years. For O and M, they have admitted to the truth that Jesus is the only way to salvation from sin, but neither is willing to trust Christ because of pressures from family. Pray that God would grab these men's hearts and they would finally give their lives to Christ. Pray also for workers. Pray that God would burden people's hearts to share the gospel with Thai people. Maybe God would even burden your heart to have a chapter in this story of God's work in Thailand also.
Well, there you have it. Those are my people. Those are the people that own my heart. I'm the one, obviously, who narrated that video. I'm the one who put it together and wrote the script. But I have to tell you that every time I watch that, and I've watched it numerous times now, I still get very emotional. Those people, man, I just love them. And I miss them. I hope they don't need me because they need God. But I certainly feel a part of their lives as well. Um, Yeah. Yep. Before I get too carried away, I have my ring on my finger here to remind me of what I'm supposed to talk about next. And that is, we have pictures of our family in the back, as well as a sign-up sheet for a quarterly email prayer update that we send out. If you would like to receive that, you could sign up in the back, as well as take a picture of our family to remind you to pray for us, and you would start to receive that email update. In the time that we have left together, uh, if you have your Bible in whatever form you brought it today, whether it be in book form or electronic form, could you turn to the book of Luke? Luke chapter 15. We're going to walk very quickly through a story of which I'm very confident that you are very familiar. As you're turning there, I could give you a very quick update. There are other updates I could give you on what you've seen by way of video, but one that I can share that's very quick. One of those gentlemen, that, his name is Jack, one of the four guys in the last there that asked, I asked for prayer. I had the opportunity just before we came home on our furlough to really sit down and share the gospel with him one-on-one. And as I closed that time of sharing the gospel, I asked him for what, what he thought and if he liked what his response was. And he laughed at me and said, I hang around you, Pastor Nathan, because I like you and we're friends. He's been my student now for four years. And he comes over to my house every Friday and we go running together and eat supper together. He said, I hang around you because we're friends. But I've got to tell you, I don't believe a thing you say about Jesus. Just as nice as could be in his laughter, that's what he said. So I closed with a couple questions. One question being, well, do you believe there's life after death? He said, no. He said, okay, I'll finish with this. Is there, is there punishment for sin? He said, I don't believe that either. And I left him alone. Our co-workers invited him to come to our sending off service, our last service in Thailand before we came home on this furlough in July. They invited him to come. And he came, and he made a connection with some of the guys in the church. And the interesting thing that happened is he, through that connection with the guys in the church, Jack started coming to church. And he's been in church every Sunday since we've been gone. He's been in church every Sunday that we have been home on this furlough. God is doing He's not saved yet. He still hasn't accepted Christ, but God is doing a work in his heart. In fact, he's more faithful than our members. <laughs> So we decided just to make him worship leader. (laughs) Just kidding. We try to be as honest as possible and talking about both. We have this passion and we hope it comes out. We love what we do. I love Thailand and I love what God has done in taking us to Thailand. I can't lie and say it's easy. It's hard. Um... And what you saw in the video is true. And I would say it this way. The last four years 
of our lives in Thailand were the most difficult four years of my life, not just my ministry. It was hard. Seeing people that we had led to the Lord, discipled, seen grow, bring other people to Christ, and then they themselves walk away because not just falling in love with an unsaved person, but going to live with that unsaved person before they were married. And then talking to them and pleading with them and then not giving up and going back, wait a couple weeks and go back and do it again. And the answer still being no. And I remember sitting in my chair in my bedroom slash office with my feet propped up on my bed feeling discouraged and asking some of the questions that, that hard times in life force us to ask ourselves. Ask questions like, is what we're doing right? Is it the gospel for Thai people or is this just an American thing? Does what I do even matter? And the question that I ask myself over and over again is, is this worth it? Is the life surrendered to God's service Is the life surrendered to do whatever God would have us to do? In the end, does it matter and is it worth it? Is being faithful worth it? Cause me, all of these things that caused me to go back to a lesson that I learned back in 1996, a long time ago. And it's from the story we find in Luke chapter 15, the story that we know of as the prodigal son. Pastor asked us to share about ourselves this morning. My wife spent time sharing her testimony during Sunday school. And the story of the prodigal son could very well be called Nate Beckman's story. Here, you know this story, but if you don't know it, we could very quickly read through a couple verses and we start to get the flavor and the background of the story. We jump down in chapter 15 of Luke to verse 10, excuse me, verse 11, and we read it this way. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. Now, Luke chapter 15, the whole chapter is about lost things. But then we come down to this story of the prodigal son, and it sort of changes because here we have a guy who has two sons, verse 12, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods which the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. You've heard this story before, the story of what we call the prodigal son. In a chapter talked about, talking about lost things. But I understand that this, this story has been used many times as sort of an evangelistic story. But this is a story not just of maybe someone who was lost. It was, it's a story of someone who was a son who lived in the house and walked away. He wasn't lost. He walked away. He had it good, but he thought he could get it better. And here's the story of a guy. Here's the story of a guy who did absolutely everything in his power in his search for pleasure and happiness and life. So what did he do? As we read in verse 13, he was willing to ruin his relationship with his dad because it seemed that the world had something better to offer than a good relationship with his dad. 
So he was willing to give up one thing, not just to give it up, but because something out there was better. So he was willing to sacrifice that relationship with his dad. Some commentators have said that their comments and, and their, their interpretation of this is by saying to his dad, give me my inheritance before his dad had died, they say that he was saying, I wish you were dead. I don't believe that. I think this guy was just so selfish that he saw his dad as a means to an end. Not that he wanted him dead, that he has what I want that can make my life happy. So he was willing to say, Dad, I don't care about our relationship. I only want what you can give me based on what our relationship is, which in the end was stuff, right? So he was willing to ruin that relationship so he could get his inheritance early, before his dad died. And what did he do with that inheritance? We understand that his dad, it says right there, his dad split up the inheritance between the two sons, right? Well, at that time, it probably would have been some money, but it would have been a house, and it would have been some land. So in order to split it up before his dad's death, his dad has to do what? His dad probably has to go and sell the deed to land and property, as well as money and assets, so that he can split it up between his two sons. And that's exactly what this dad did. And what did that son do? He took that house, that deed, his part of the deed is a house and land that his dad was living on and in, and he turned it into cold, hard cash. Because he had a plan, and this world was going to have something. His, he just knew, if I can turn it into cold, hard cash, I will get what I want, and the pleasure and happiness I'm looking for, life is at my fingertips. So he sold his inheritance, and he turned it into cold, hard cash. That wasn't enough. Not just so getting out from underneath his dad's roof and under his dad's authority. That wasn't enough. That was, he was still in the same proximity of his dad. So what's he do next? He moves to a faraway country. He leaves. He gets out of Dodge. And he leaves and goes to a different place because that's going to make him happy. The cold, hard cash he found didn't make him happy. He moves to another country. That'll make him happy, right? Not yet. So then he starts to live it up because money didn't make him happy. Moving far away from his dad, being out from under his dad's thumb and under his authority and under his rules. He thought it would make him happy, but it didn't make him happy. So then he starts to live it up. Having fun with friends will make me happy. This will make my life complete. And he lived life completely for himself. He partied. And what was the result? What was the result? Was this guy, did he find the happiness and joy that he'd always been dreaming of? Nope. Because in verse 14, we read the result. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. He wasted absolutely everything. Famine came. The one thing in you and your and my search for happiness and joy in life apart from our relationship with God the one thing we never plan for in this great life that we're going to make is for famine. And it's shocking how it always, it shouldn't shock us at all. But it is shocking when it always comes. It all, that house is perfect. It's going to be the best house because it's new. It's not the junky old. we got a new one. There's not going to be any problem until the roof leaks. Or until we have termites. Or whatever it may be. Because famine always comes. And he found himself in need. He had sacrificed his family for money. He sacrificed money for pleasure. And in verse 16, in the end, he lost absolutely everything, including his dignity and his honor, because now he's a Jewish guy working with pigs. 
But then we read verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? What did he say? What's the Bible say? He came to himself. What lessons did he learn? When we say he came to himself, what happened in that moment? What does coming to himself mean? For the first time in his life, he was actually honest with himself. He told himself the truth. He looked in the mirror and spoke honestly for the first time in his life. And he was honest with himself about the fact that all the world offered, all the money, the fun, whatever else was out there was only temporary. It wasn't real because it didn't last. When trying times came, it was absolutely all gone. And he found that everything that the heart really wants was found in a place with which he was familiar for many, many years. And where was that? Well, we keep reading. We keep reading. We, start, we read there in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But look at this. While his, he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Before he gets to finish the second part of what he had memorized, he was going to say to his father, verse 22, his father butts in and says to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us, be, let us eat and be celebrate and celebrate. we'll celebrate together. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What did he find? In coming to himself and being honest with himself for the very first time in his life, what did he find? He found that in his father's house was absolutely everything that he had been desiring all along. Absolutely everything that the heart wants is found in the right relationship with his dad at home. So what did he do? He got up and in his father's house, what did he find? He found forgiveness and he found mercy. Verse 22, it says he rose and came to his father. But the interesting thing is that while he was still a far ways off, he was still a great far ways off. His father saw him. How did, so what does that mean? How did his dad see him a long way off? It appears that we can interpret, and I don't think it's wrong to interpret this way. It appears to me that if his dad saw him a long ways off, what did his dad take time to do every day? Go outside and watch for that wayward son to come back. A dad Watching, And if he's standing there watching, what's he watching and waiting for? In his heart, he wants that son back. He found, a, he found a father in his father, someone who was waiting for him to return because he was ready to forgive at any moment. He found compassion because it says in the same verse, his father, in his father, he found mercy. In that same verse, verse 20 and he, re- he ran and fell on his neck and, his- and kissed him. That's what his father did to him. In his father, he found grace and undeserved favor. 
He found undeserved honor. Who here doesn't want honor? Don't say you don't because the human heart wants to feel important. The human heart wants to feel like we are important and we have honor somewhere in this world. And he found it with his dad, the very place. And he said, this is, I could never find what I'm looking for here. In verse 22, we see in his father's house, he found restoration and meaning and value in life. How do we see it there? Because his father says, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. What happened here? His dad gave him honor and position. There was one robe in a house and it was owned by the owner of the house. So when dad says, bring the robe and put it on him, whose robe is he putting on this wayward son? His own. And then he says, put the ring on his finger. What was the importance of the ring in those days? Financial transactions, official transactions in a household that had money were made official by the stamping of the ring. What does this dad do with the ring that shows financial transactions and authority in a house? He puts it on that wayward son and says, it's yours. Make the decisions. Honor, position, value. And then shoes on the feet. In those days, servants did not wear shoes. You knew who the owner and the family of the owner was because they were the ones who were wearing the shoes. And he says, put those shoes on him. So his son's saying, I'm ready to be a servant. I'll be a slave. At least I'll have food to eat. And his dad says, none of that. Robe, ring, shoes. You're coming in and you're running the place. And he found in his father's house In verse 23, both joy and peace that he thought only could be found outside that very same house because his dad put on the celebration, the food, the party was had at the home. All the son had to say is, will you take me in? And I believe there's a message there for all of us Christians because this is the passage that Changed Nate Beckman's life back in Christmas time of 1996. Now I have to say straight up, I never wandered that far away from God. I never left going to church. Here's what I did. I was saved when I was 16 years old. My parents were missionaries for four years in Africa. They couldn't go back after four years because my mom had, acquired, had, had she got cancer twice. She couldn't go back anymore. I don't know that my parents led a number of Africans to the Lord, but here's what I do know. In that four years, my, I only spent one year myself there, my junior year of high school. That's where God got a hold of my heart, and I was saved in Africa. In my junior year, my only time spent in Africa, it was only seven months, but God got a hold of my heart by taking me out of my place that I'd grown up my whole life dropping me in the seventh poorest country in the world. And for the first time, I read the Bible on my own. My dad led me to the Lord in Africa. And then they had to come home. At that time, I I, I trusted Christ as my Savior. But I also said to the Lord, seeing what my parents went through on deputation and all these things that they had to go visiting different churches, for me it was torture. I did not like it junior high and early high school years, having to go to church to church to church every different Sunday. I had made up my mind missions was not for me. 
So I said, Lord, I'll do absolutely anything you want me to do, except please don't make me a missionary. I went off to Bible college, got my degree in youth ministry, and I was on this path of going into Christian camping, and I got burned out with Christian camping. And no youth pastor opened up for me, so I went and started making money. And I made good money. Like I said, I never wandered away from the Lord, but there was a period of, a, of years after college and making money. I was at church, but I was one of those people. I was here, but I wasn't here. I was, there, I was here every Sunday, but, but I really wasn't here. Because in my heart, I was fighting against the Lord. I had said, I, I won't do this, and I couldn't be in ministry anyway because I'm not even married. So I, this whole section of my life, Lord... It's not set up, so it couldn't, I can't give it to you because I can't do this. And so the Lord, it was as if he said, okay, if that's how it's going to be, go live in misery for a while. I just happened to be living in misery and have money. And people that are miserable with money, they try to buy junk, hoping that some piece of junk that they buy is going to fill that hole in the heart that only God can fill. And the straw that broke the camel's back was a really cool motorcycle. I bought that stupid thing. And because I live in northern Ohio, I can drive it for like two weeks out of the year. <laughs> so I would walk by, walk by that motorcycle in the garage and it would mock me. And I, I, as I walked by it one day in the winter of 1996... It mocked me, and as I'm walking to, this do to the door of the house, walking in, I thought, this is an idol. Because I'm trying to make this thing fill something in my heart that only God can fill. If that's not an idol, I don't know what an idol is. I became an Id idolater as a Christian, hoping that something would fill a hole in my heart that only God could fill. That was the beginning. And then, so the Christmas before, or excuse me, yeah, it was... It was the Sunday before Christmas, 1996. Our church at that time had two services. My parents would go to the early service. There was no way I was waking up that early in the morning to go worship God. All right? It was like 8 o'clock in the morning. That's early. Not so much anymore. I was not going that early. I would go to the 11 o'clock service. So there, Sunday before Christmas, I'm sitting by myself in the very back. The church is extra full because it's the Sunday before Christmas. Everyone is there. And the songs are extra loud and extra joyful because it's Christmas. I was sitting in the very back row. Now, you people in the back row, I'm not talking. Praise God for you. <laughs> yep, sorry about that. I was sitting way in the back there, and as we, we sang the first song, sat down, sang the second song. As we stood and everyone sang, I just thought, why am I even here? And I literally, I got up and I walked out. I left church. I went home. I didn't want to be there. And everything was coming to a head. The fight was coming to a climax. I walk into the door of my house. My mom sees me come in the door and has a puzzled look on her face. She looks at the clock. She said, did church get out early? And I couldn't even look her in the eye and I began to cry. And I said, no, church didn't get out early, but I have a problem. And I don't even know what my problem is. So I sat down with my parents and for the next four hours we just talked about life. And this story of Luke 15, the prodigal, it's not necessarily lost, but the wasteful son just jumped out of Scripture 
that day and became real to me because my prayer that day as I'm working, talking with my parents and thinking, why is this fight? Why can't I have peace that I want? I'm trying to, and and, uh, my parents are asking me questions like, are you totally surrendered to God? Are you totally giving your life completely to God, whatever he wants you to do? And I had to come to the conclusion, no. So that day I said to God the same thing that this man, this young man said to his dad. Lord, I will do absolutely anything you want me. I do not care. I will be a janitor in the worst church bathroom for the rest of my life. If you will give me a job that I can wake up and be at peace about and not dread and oh, hate going to work every day. And it was shortly after that that a free trip to Thailand, Cambodia, and Laos was offered to me to go visit missionaries and see what they do on the mission field. Free. When I surrendered my life to do absolutely anything God wanted me to do, God dropped this trip to Thailand in my lap. And I'm not special. I can't possibly know where each of you, my friend, is at right now in your relationship with God. There's no way I could know that. But here's my testimony, and here's the testimony of a prodigal son and Luke 15, and that is peace and joy and happiness and fun and meaning in life are found in living for God alone, doing what he wants you to do with your life. Giving it all up, because here's what I found. Giving up to God never, ever is losing. It's always winning. When you give up and you surrender, you win. Because God now has control of your life. And God never makes mistakes. You can get the best job in the world, but you can never guarantee that your boss always wishes the best for you. You give it up to God, you can guarantee every day when you wake up for God's work, He only wants good for you. I fought that. And now I look back at those days and I get frustrated with myself because for years I thought I would never, I couldn't be a missionary, it'd be too hard. I'm still single. How can I do all this? No! I get so angry at myself. I'm frustrated because I thought that which would bring me meaning in life. I'm saying it again. I'm not special. You give up to God. You win. Happiness, joy, peace is walking with God, surrendering to his will. This story in Luke 15 is, in part, the story of a lost son. But the lost son isn't the prodigal son. The lost son is the son who never left, but refused to go in to the party when offered. The dad offered the very same thing to the son who never left, and he refused. He was the lost son. He was lost forever, even though he never left. Because there were two sons who were here, but not here. One came back, 
one never did. Oh, friend. Have you ever come to that point in your life where you come to yourself? Where you were honest with yourself? Where you quit telling God what you could do or couldn't do? Where you quit telling God what you would or wouldn't do for Him? Where you quit telling God what you would or would not give to Him? Where you said to God, I don't need to be important or famous or anything. I just want to have peace and happiness. But now I figured out only comes through having a right relationship with you. Man, oh man. The last four years, I'm going to be straight with you. They, they were hard. But nothing changes the decision I made in 1996. I found rest in my soul when I gave it all to Christ. So that when people are walking away from the Lord, it's still worth it. It's not wasted. Have you ever come to yourself and given it all up for whatever God would have you do? There is nothing more worth it than that. It's the best. And if you haven't done it, come on home. Father, help us to be the people you want us to be. Touch a heart even now, I pray. No matter what you do, I remember the decision I made. And I remember the misery I was in before, and I'm not going back there, Lord, by your grace. Thank you for taking me back. Maybe there's someone this morning who needs to come back, come home, and find what they've been looking for, thinking the world could give it to them. I pray that you would do a work even now in Jesus' name.